Sarah Spreming, and this is Cop Dog Radio, a place where I will share my stories, cases, and considerations when it comes to all things dog sports and dog training. I hope you enjoy it. Today I'm here with my friend Katie, and I'm going to go ahead and let her introduce herself. Hi, Katie. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, Sarah. Hi, dog people <laughs> at the internet. <laughs> they, they say hello. Um, Katie, go ahead and tell us who you are and what you do. Sure. So um, my name is Katie Gingrich, and I'm the owner and operator of a professional pet services company in Austin, Texas called Pets Crave Love. I'm a former agility competitor, and I left the competitive dog sport world about seven years ago, and I came back to the pet owner side. Um, I still love training my dogs, and many of them have the same behaviors my obedience and agility dogs had, minus the obstacle skills, obviously. Um, My company offers regular services like dog walking, dog sitting, vacation visits, but we regularly use enrichment during our visits, which is something I don't see a lot of people in my industry offering. And I think it really sets us apart. Absolutely. Um, I think utilizing enrichment in a pet sitting or dog walking capacity is unique and amazing. And we're going to really get into the nitty gritty on that a little bit later. But you are in Austin, um, but you recently had a little hurricane adventure in Houston. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, um, we actually we didn't get hit that bad here, luckily. Um, we had a lot of rain and wind, but um, we're not too far from Houston, so I'm kind of like a go-do-it person, um, and I couldn't sit back and just not do anything. So we volunteered for a rescue here, um, and we offered to do transport for um, eight dogs out of the Houston area who were owner surrenders. So that means their families have lost everything, and you know they're desperate to get their dogs um, into a safe situation. So my husband and I drove out there. Um, we got these eight dogs, which was amazing. Like these dogs, they've lost their families, their homes. Um, they don't know what's going on. They've been in foster families. So we rounded them all up, put them in kennels, drove them back to Austin, um, saw some massive flooding down there. So it's sort of indescribable what's going on down there and delivered them, uh, back to the rescue here where they're being fostered, um, in homes. And we actually became suckers and took in two little chihuahuas, um, who don't tell anyone, but they're one of my favorite breeds. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I know it's very strange. I think, strange, I think everybody awesome. is like a closet chihuahua lover, like, I because they're I really am. actually easy to love if you're, if you're around them. They totally are. They're yeah. literally big dogs in the tiniest package. They get such a bad reputation. So <laughs> we've got um, we've got the mom and her puppy with us now, and they're being vetted, and hopefully um, we'll find good homes. But it's it's kind of fun because we're working on some crate skills and potty skills, and yeah. they're also like the size of my hand. So <laughs> <laughs> trying to find exercises for them to do enrichment wise, it's like the size of, you know, what is this, enrichment for ants? Like <laughs> True. That's actually, that's something I should think a little bit more about because I, I don't think that much about that because my dogs are bigger, but um, 
That's yeah. that's real. I'm sitting here kind of running through my go-to enrichment games and thinking, wow, no, that wouldn't work for a chihuahua. <laughs> no, no. I mean, we have snuffle mats, and they look at those like they're giant pillows. They're like, what am I supposed to do with this thing meant for a lab that's, I'm actually a chihuahua. I don't know if you saw me, but this is not going to work. <laughs> oh, well, good for you. That sounds like a really nice, helpful thing that you did. Um so let's dive right into it. You mentioned that you put enrichment to work for you um, in your job. So just go ahead and tell us a little bit about that. Um, tell us how you as a pet sitter, dog walker, um, use enrichment to make the animals in your care just have better better lives, better times when they're with you. Yes. So just a little background on my business. Um, we're a little bit more limited in our service area because we're mainly in the suburbs. Um, we were actually just talking about this before we got on this call, but um, we are surrounded by houses. So we don't have those beautiful beaches and mountains that you guys have. <laughs> um, it is flat and it is populated and it's also easily over 100 degrees for sometimes four to five months at a time. So um, that really limits some of the stuff that we can do with our dogs because it's just too hot. Um, so when we're walking and exercising dogs, it's either on a leash, it's on sidewalks, it's in their backyard, and hopefully it's during hot days, it's only in the cooler hours. So um, we typically use enrichment during our dog walks, let outs, um, also our dog sitting visits. And since I'm not the dog's owner um, and the owners aren't present, I'm the one providing the enrichment activities. Um, versus them doing it, which some of your listeners might be the ones providing the enrichment, but we're a little different because we're the ones doing it. Yeah. Um, so before we even start with clients, we have a lengthy meet and greet. Um, we meet the pets and their people, people, and we start with paperwork where we find out more about um, what they're looking for. So, I mean, typically these dogs are, they're pet dogs. Um, they don't have a job like a lot of the dog sport dogs. So when we come, um, we're the ones giving them the job. So we kind of have to evaluate our client dogs in, in person for short amounts of time, um, which is a challenge because you think of the dogs that you live with and you're figuring out their enrichment plan. Well, we're going off of what the owners are saying and also what we see in the dogs. So um, we really take a lot of time to figure out what their needs are and what the client's concerns are. And we, we talk a lot about communication with our clients. Um, we talk to them every day about what their dog did with us. And then if we have any behavioral or wellness concerns, um, and also they're really good about letting us know up front um, what their dog is doing during the day. So, so that's part of the enrichment. And then um, we have started using enrichment walks. So I can't actually begin to tell you how much progress I've seen with my regular client dogs using enrichment walks, um, not just for exercise. And I think sometimes people think of walks as hooking the dog up to a collar and then, you know, off we go for 45 minutes, like pounding the pavement, <laughs> you know, yeah. got to get those five miles yep. in. Um, and we actually have dogs that we start walking and that's, that's literally what they do. They start walking as fast as they can going in a straight line. Um, and it, I think it's really important for owners to understand that while we're Walking is awesome exercise, like letting the dog stop and sniff and blaze their own trail. It really makes them more satisfied in the end. Um, so five miles walking as fast as you can. I've seen dogs that have gone a mile and a half 
and just letting them explore, they're more tired at the end of that. So um, we've since I've started sort of following you, we've switched over to harnesses on a lot of our client dogs um, to allow them to explore. We're using longer leashes whenever possible. Um, and just watching their heads look around and their noses are going, their ears are moving. Um, it's really awesome to see. And I just wanted to give a specific example of one dog. Um, we kind of talked about him a little bit before the call, but, um, we'll call this dog Rex. Um, he's, he's an older dog. He's probably around 10 years old. He was a former fighting bait dog. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, so he he has some well, he has a lot of aggression issues. Um, he's very reactive. He, he's a lot of dog. And when I went to meet the owner, she said the last dog walker quit and threw the leash in the house. So <laughs> I, I was like, okay, oh, no. Well, yeah. <laughs> Let's just talk about this. So uh, he's kind of famous in the neighborhood for his behavior. Um, and obviously she was really nervous about me being able to handle this dog. And again, like he's got a very small yard. Um, he doesn't like other dogs. So we didn't have a lot of tools to work with. Um, he was obviously stressed. So the first time when I went on the walk with, uh, the owner had him and we went out on like a little test walk and you could just see that this dog was ready to just explode. Um, so, I mean, keeping in mind that I only see this dog. So, again, I was like, I'll do it. I can do it. You know, just trust me here. And, you know, I only get to see this dog for about 30 minutes a day every day. So, uh, we started with a routine. And our routine is literally I show up. I greet him. I ask him how his morning went. Um, I pick up his leash and his harness, and I let him sniff. And if he's feeling good, um, he will stretch. And that's sort of his okay for me to put his harness on. Um, if he moves away, I take that as a no, and we hang out in his backyard. Um, and it's probably took maybe five visits before he figured out that he could make that choice. Yeah. Um, and then we, this is his routine. So we head outside, we do a few search for cookies exercises in his front yard, and then off we go. Um, and he picks his own adventure. So I let him pick the route. I let him pick what bush he wants to stand out. And sometimes it's 30 seconds and sometimes it's five minutes. Um, and he really gets to let his guard down and explore. So, um, I mean, this dog, people would hide behind cars and like frantically wave from the other side for us to go by. (laughs) Wow. uh, Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this dog is just a prime example of like what a simple consent and enrichment walking can do um i mean now is he reactive absolutely um i don't put this dog in situations where he's likely to get upset um we'll usually take side streets if we see something um he's got a behavior where he'll he'll sort of lean on me um if we hang behind to let an object pass that's probably going to upset him um and things do pop up I mean, we've been chased by little dogs before because it's a neighborhood. Um, but his recovery time now is maybe 30 seconds at max. Um, he literally just starts to relax. Um, and when I first started walking with him, we would have to just go home because he would be flipping around, yelling at the dog behind him. Um, and we just, we don't see that as much as anymore. He, he's a lot more relaxed. Um, and his owner just sent me the nicest note the other day saying, like, how much she appreciated, how much calmer he was on their walk. So just that simple protocol with that dog that I spend 30 minutes a day with five days a week has helped in probably three weeks. Um, it's, it's amazing. So he 
has, you know, some severe rect- reactivity issues and you've seen a huge change in him just by, A, allowing him to choose whether he wants to go on a walk at all, um, and then B, letting him, I love how you put it, choose his own adventure on the walk. And you're literally just walking in suburbia, but you yeah. are doing, I like this term, enrichment walk. So you're basically kind of taking my decompression walk idea and putting it into a suburban setting and you've seen a huge change in this dog's behavior. Yes. I mean, it's, it's night and day and people will now stop us and ask if that's the same dog. Um, and they're like, are you his trainer? And I'm, you know, I'm like, no, I'm not his trainer. I'm just his dog walker. Um, and I think, you know, that's something that sets us apart from other dog walkers is that we know, we know what to look for. We know how to help these dogs. Um, relax and learn that they have the choice. Like, I'm not going to leash you up and drag you around for 45 minutes so that you're just hot and panting and you flop over. Like, we really want the dogs to have a chance to process what's going on, enjoy the environment. Um, it's a much different experience. Yeah, it sounds like sounds like a quality, very much quality service. Um, and with, you know dog walking right now I you can get these apps where it's basically like uber for dog walkers and <laughs> you can try and yeah. you know and yeah. like when know. you They're... you can definitely select um quality or you can you know go with an app um, my sister runs a dog walking business in Denver and it's definitely you know there's a sp- specific kind of professional that I think I would want taking care of my dogs and they're hard to come by so it's really exciting what you're doing um for the dogs in Austin so let's switch gears a little bit and just talk about positive reinforcement I like to think of positive reinforcement as a core value for me so not just as a teaching tool um but as a core value meaning that giving positive regard and positive feedback to the dogs and the people that I work with um, for me is it's a business value as well as a teaching value and so talk about positive reinforcement a little bit um, I I'd love to embrace it whenever possible um, we have a full range of clients who have come from all kinds of um, different, I won't necessarily call them backgrounds, but maybe experiences of working with different trainers. Um, Sometimes I'll walk in and, you know, they'll say, well, I've been doing this. And, um, you know, we kind of talk about alternative ways to train dogs and sort of what we believe in, which is positive reinforcement. Um, So we do have we have met people who have different core values. Um, they are not ours. So for me, um, like I said before, I don't live with these dogs. So timing and positive reinforcement are really critical for me. I only see them for, you know, max an hour a day. So I can't, you know, I can't be doing this all day long when I'm not there. So I try to get the owners to help us as much as possible. Um, and since we're working with a lot of dogs on a daily basis, I really focus on rewarding the dogs for great choices during our visit. So maybe you didn't punch me in the stomach before I picked up the ball. Like, thank you. That is an awesome decision. Um, Or, you know, maybe they look at me before flying out the back door and I won't get hit with the sliding door. So, (laughs) um, you know, I really want to build up a reinforcement 
history for good behaviors that they don't only make our relationship better, but also theirs with their families. Um, and the biggest challenges we work through tend to be taking treats nicely, um, you know, not jumping up, learning to step into a harness um, to hold still and give us, you know, a chance to put on that harness so we don't have to wrestle a dog, um, which we don't do, but it, we can make our lives a lot easier if we just take the time to reward the dog for standing still and letting us, um, you know, put on the harness if they're ready to go for a walk. Um, you know, we do some self-control when we're getting ready to pick up the leash. Um, obviously, like, if you've worked in dog training, you know that some of the anxiety issues come right at the door. <laughs> so we're aware of that, and we like to work on calm behaviors before we even get to that door. So just setting up great routines using positive reinforcement. Um, and, yeah, that's a core value that I'm pretty fanatical about. <laughs> that's good. Um what I like and what I heard ringing through just now in your answer is that, you know, for me, if I just take an extra second to decide what behaviors I'm going to reinforce ahead of time, um, yeah. and I'm prepared to reinforce those behaviors, it makes my life so much easier. Just, you know, we've got five dogs, so mm-hmm. having cookies stashed throughout the house so that I can reinforce behaviors when I see behaviors that I like um and just being prepared for that and I'm a person that I don't ever go on a walk without food I mean I pretty much it's poop bags and food you those are the things that you don't leave behind when you go walk the dog and um just taking that little extra second to be prepared to utilize positive reinforcement as best as possible um is yeah. is worth it is basically I guess what I'm trying to say and I think you've got to get into the flow of it but it's worth it I mean I know my sister Megan who's a dog walker um has a treat pouch that's literally just part of her dog walking gear um yeah. she makes tuna fudge for the dogs like every week she's baking tuna fudge um, yeah, we are literally the smelliest people. It's, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we she smell smells. Like she smells great. She's tree. covered, covered in slobber yeah. and hair, and smells <laughs> like tuna. Really yeah. good. You guys are both already married, so you know, yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's all, yeah. it's all good. Um, <laughs> But it's just taking that little extra planning step, I think, is what a lot of the pet owners kind of miss. And then they don't necessarily understand why maybe the dog walker doesn't have the same problems <laughs> that they yeah. that they might no. be having. <laughs> That's so true. Yeah. And I mean, I wear I wear like the dorkiest belt. I mean, it's got like I got it on Amazon. It's the dorkiest thing ever. It has all these pockets and people make fun of me for it. But I don't really care because... Um, oh, yeah. When my dog is that I'm with in that time, um, when they're showing me something that I want them to keep doing, I can absolutely reinforce it on the spot, and that increases the likelihood of it happening again. So, it's, it's the belt yeah. of power. It's not dorky. It's like superhero. <laughs> it's like Wonder Woman I belt. Think, I think they're coming back, though. So I feel like, I mean, I think they are. I think they are, and dog trainers are bringing them back. Um, all right. So I talk a lot about what I call the four steps to behavioral wellness. Um, do you want to talk about those and how maybe you've applied some of those things in your work? 
Where do you stop? Who do you believe? Again, I think most people, like you said, people love their dogs. So whatever it is that they're putting in the bowl, especially if they're the kind of person who has hired yourself or me or myself, whatever it is they're putting in the bowl, they believe it to be a good quality thing for their dog to be eating. Yes. Nobody knowingly puts garbage in the bowl. Okay. No. And so we have to kind of respect where these people are coming from and respect what they're able to do. I know right now um, my sister has 
a puppy for the first time in, gosh, like 15 years. And she's like, oh my God, what do I feed him? And she knows that I feed raw. And so she's kind of doing like a partial raw, partial not raw diet for this puppy and just kind of playing it, basically taking it as slow as she needs to to be comfortable with whatever it is that she's feeding him. And also, you know, affordable for her. And I just respect that so much that anybody who, you know, we do an exercise sometimes in one of my workshops where everybody goes around the room and just talks, just says one, one small change they're going to make because of the seminar. Um, and a lot of times it's just, I'm going to add more fresh food to my dog's diet, period. Uh-huh. That's it. It's not, I'm going to switch completely. It's just... I'm going to add more fresh food. Do you see changes in the dogs that you work with or with your own dogs um, when nutrition is improved? Yes. And as a specific example, I, um, Roderick, my four-year-old dog who got mast cell cancer, um, I fostered his entire litter. They, I got them from um, our local animal shelter here in Austin I fostered them. They were spayed and neutered. There were three of them, two males and one female. They were spayed and neutered, I would say, about seven weeks old. Um, And because I was fostering them and I didn't know I was going to be adopting them, but also it was shelter policy that that was what needed to happen. Um, They were vaccinated for everything under the sun, Um, probably by the time they were eight weeks old. So um, I want to say they were even seven weeks old. So I didn't know better at that time. And I had been in dog sports forever. I didn't know better. Yeah. Um, and uh, so his litter mate, I switched Roderick to raw probably eight months ago. Um, and he is an anxious dog. <laughs> they, I, they grew up with humans. I fostered them probably when they were four weeks old. So, um, and I've never bred a litter. I've only fostered litters of puppies. So they all grew up with humans. They had each other. They had a couple of adult dogs in the family, but his sister and him are just nervous Nellies. Um, when people run away, they scream at the top of their lungs. Um, and one thing I've noticed since putting everybody on raw, and of course, um, I have to give a shout out to Z, Arya's owner, because she, when Roger got cancer, she freaked and I freaked too. And we're like, what have we been doing? Like, what could have gone wrong? And I started to realize, like, these are the things that kind of possibly came together to, you know, cause him possibly to have cancer. So we looked at diet um, and I did all the research and she kind of, I was like, look at this. Does this make sense? And then we were talking to some vets and um, her dog is pretty anxious too. And so she was just at my house the other day um, and she used to scream when her mom left her (laughs) because of course that going away thing that's just what they do they're very vocal um and her dog would just scream for 45 minutes kind of run around the house and scream 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 this high-pitched like terrible noise and she came back she's been on raw for about five months now um she came back two days ago and her mom left and there was like a little bit of a scream for about 30 seconds and then she got on my couch and laid down wow so and really nothing, nothing in the, either of their lives have changed besides their dying. Um, and I've noticed Roderick's a lot less anxious. So, and I mean, we weren't feeding cheap kibble. We were feeding, you know, in my opinion, one of the top brands that's out there, which I, I won't name, but um, in my opinion, it was one of the best that you could get. And just noticing the, the behavioral changes in them, 
um, even instantly was incredible. And I've seen that to be true as well. I think a lot of people um, really feel like, you know, but I'm feeding the top of the line kibble. Could it really be that much better to switch to raw? Am I really going to see the changes? And the honest truth is I see much bigger changes in switching from processed to fresh food than I see switching from low quality kibble to high quality kibble. Yeah. Do I see yeah. do I see changes both ways? Yeah, I do, but the bigger changes for me are from processed to fresh. And one thing that I've noticed um with some of the dogs that I that are my client dogs that I've switched over, um, they used to come in from a walk and they would obviously be hot because it's hot here and they would run right to the water bowl and drink as much as they possibly could and slop it all over the floor and dribble it all over and climb all over me they no longer come back and just like lay down in front of the water bowl and stick their head in they're not as yeah. thirsty um because their diet has in you know again i'm not a nutritionist but i think it's because they're eating a diet that has more water in it Absolutely. Water inclusive. Yeah. Moisture inclusive food. Um, For me, if you can't feed a fresh food diet, you can at least feed your dog soup. (laughs) You can at Mm -hmm. least Mm -hmm. feed them their bowl should be soup. Um, Because they don't drink enough. They're basically, I think, in a constant state of dehydration when they're fed a dry food diet. Um, Exactly. And then we're asking them, I mean, and these are pet dogs. These aren't necessarily athletes like sport dog people. We're asking them to go out and either walk with us or do enrichment stuff with us or run in the backyard. And I've just noticed a bigger difference in the dogs that are fed a raw or a moisture type fresh food diet versus the ones who are on kibble who like we do have to take more frequent water breaks with them. Like, hey, (laughs) Definitely. You need to drink something because you look like, you know, you're, you look like you're extremely hot. And it's, it's a big difference between the dogs who are eating fresh foods. Definitely. So moving down the line, if you're done, if you don't have anything else to say on nutrition, I think it's a good segue into enrichment. Um, and a lot of times you and I also combine kind of exercise and enrichment together. And when you were talking about it earlier, you really did. So totally fine to put those together. And how are those two pieces um, a big part of what you do? Yeah, so um, again, we kind of talked about how exercise, we're limited just by location and temperature. And um, we don't have access to the the great (laughs) hills and beaches that you guys do. We do have um, these crazy big off-leash dog parks. Um, I personally am not a fan. Um, I've just seen too many dogs who live in apartments and then are turned loose and yeah. bad things happen. Um, so we, we first, we do not take clients to dog parks or off-leash parks or off-leash. Um, there are some hiking opportunities here. I just, I know how hard I work to trade a good call um, and I'm not going to test somebody else's recall. So, um, for me, that's not what I offer. I know there are folks who do, but uh, we do not offer that. So exercise is really up to the pet parent um, with what they're doing, or it's up to us. So, I mean, I'll just say that upping enrichment activities with our client dogs has really helped a lot of the higher energy dogs that we work with, um, since, again, we can't drive out and let them rip. 
um, you know, in some awesome fields. So um, well, another thing I've also done is challenge some of our clients to pick up their dog bowls. <laughs> so yeah. instead of getting home at five o'clock and putting down the dog bowl and just letting the dog eat and then letting them back, you know, back outside, um, I've said, just pick up your dog bowl, like find stuff to do with that kibble so that it's not just in a bowl. Um, and I guarantee you that your dog will be much nicer at night <laughs> than if you just fed them dinner and that was it. So, I mean, just uh, enrichment side, like hiding food in their yard. Um, and again, like they're not really, some of them aren't used to enrichment. They haven't even heard of it. So this is a totally new concept. Um, and I mean, personally, I've hidden food for client dog, dogs before, but um, before I take them out. So I'll arrive a little bit early. And I'll actually stash treats along our walk. Um, I don't do this with every dog, but I've got some high-energy dogs that love this. That's um, cool. That's a good idea. Yeah. It takes a lot of dedication, but I've done it. Um, you know, we've helped some of our clients create, like, obstacle courses for the dogs in the backyards um, to help us help them to, you know, work their minds when it's hotter and we can't be out on the pavement. So if exercise is lacking, obviously it can create some behavior challenges, which is why we then go back to look at nutrition and then what we're doing on the enrichment side. Definitely. So talk about that obstacle course idea a little bit, because I get people ask me all the time what they should do if off-leash exercise is just not an option for whatever reason. So take everything in your garage and put it in your backyard, not the chemicals. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. But um, you probably have, like, we've done stuff with those baking pans, like those metal baking pans, and put them with, like, under a rake with the prongs side down, and the dog kind of, like, wiggles over the pans, and they make a lot of noise. Um, We've had people take, like, um, their, let's see, what else have we done? Um, their lawn chairs, they turn them sideways and then, like, use the, the broom handles to make little cavalettis. So, um, again, like, if you're listening to this and you've never done dog sports before, make sure your dog is healthy and not overweight and speak with your <laughs> Make sure your dog is capable of doing what you're asking. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, please don't set up a 36-inch high broom jump and ask your chihuahua to do it because it just won't go well. Uh, <laughs> or anything. Uh, <laughs> or any or any dog. No 36-inch yeah, jumping. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Furthermore, no dog, no dog should do that. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah, just, just find weird stuff in your garage that's healthy and not sharp that you can kind of turn over on its side. Ladders are awesome. Um, create different surfaces with tin foil or plastic wrap and kind of have the dogs go over it in your backyard. They can go under chairs. They can learn to jump up and sit on a chair. Um, just use stuff that you already have as long as it's safe and all that. But um, to put it in your backyard and create a little obstacle course or go on YouTube or Google it. And, um, you can definitely find a lot of examples on there. But we have done the chair thing with a couple dogs that are too aggressive with other dogs to be out on walks. Um, and it's been really fun. And the, their owners love it, too. That's great. That's such a good idea. Um, anything else on that front? 
No, I think that's it. Okay. I mean, I could talk forever. This, <laughs> <but>. <laughs> you could. You're doing such good work. All of this is so interesting. So one of my um, steps to behavioral wellness is communication. And I usually talk about dog, um, basically human to dog communication. But you're going to put a little different spin on that. So go for it. Yeah. I mean, you've already done a great job of talking about that in the past that I can't, I can't do better with that so (laughs) um yeah I'm gonna take communication to a different level um and we do have cues that we've worked with with our walking dogs that we work all the time that we kind of use um that are similar with sort of your um sort of the stuff that you've been doing but uh I just want to take a different direction um I want to stress the importance of communication for you know, agility students or obedient students, or if you're a client working with a teacher, or in my case, a substitute teacher. <laughs> so uh, yeah. again, I come in, I come in and help these dogs, and the owners aren't there. Um, so communication for us is key. Um, we we are a premium pet service because we want to help with all four of your values. Um, I know you have a lot of dog sport folks on the other side who are already familiar with your concepts, but remember when you didn't know what you know now is what I like to say. So, um, and that's kind of where we're starting with, with a lot of our clients is they just don't know. So, um, I love what I do because it really bridges the gap between the pet owner and the dog sport competitor. Um, just keep in mind, we are all pet owners, so we're not that different. Um, just some of you know more about dog training (laughs) or think you, or think you do. (laughs) better it is for everybody exactly as a whole yeah so um you know i would just encourage everyone to keep spreading the word about things that you can do with your dogs and teaching other people how to do it too awesome awesome um all right katie is there anything else you would like to add i don't think so i think we talked about everything 
think we've covered a lot of I think we've covered a lot of bases um so thank you so much Katie and can you go ahead and say your business name one more time and where people might be able to find you sure so I own Pets Crave Love and you can find us on Facebook Pets Crave Love LLC or you can find us on our website which is Pets P-E-T-S Crave C-R-A-V-E dot love Awesome. So you're in the Austin area, um, but I enjoy Katie's Facebook page. She shares all kinds of things. Um, So even if you're not in the Austin area, you should go hop over there and give her a like. Um, And you can see our ridiculously adorable foster chihuahuas. And you can see that's what I've been enjoying, these really cute... little foster chihuahuas that I personally could not ever foster chihuahuas because I would just be like, well, what's another chihuahua? And just keep and just keep them all. I mean, that would be a serious problem. Uh, that would be a serious problem for me uh, <laughs> because they're they so tiny. Close, but you do have an Aussie, so you're used to that. <laughs> well, true. <laughs> I'm actually amazed. She's in here right now, and I'm amazed she hasn't added anything um, so far. She usually does. So... Katie, thanks so much for chatting with me today, and um, I'll talk to you soon. All right. Thanks, Sarah. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to CogDog Radio. If you've got questions or suggestions, you can shoot them over to cogdogradio at gmail.com. And be sure to subscribe on iTunes or wherever else you get your podcasts. See you next time.